All of us have a story when we think about our relationship with the Lord, a story of the person who shared Jesus with you and who that person was. For many of us in the room, that probably happened when we were young, statistically. That's when a lot of people make determinations about their faith, is when they're a young person and they're thinking through who they want to become and uh, what they are aiming at in their lives. Maybe a few of you were late bloomers, I don't know, came to all of this a little bit later in life. Today, um, I want to share with you a message that I feel like is critically important for not just our church, but really for the whole Christian movement across the world. Um, Because empowering our sons and daughters to lead, to carry the torch of the kingdom and the gospel forward, has to be a priority, or we're in a one-generation faith experiment. So all across history, you could look back and you could say, well, the person who shared Jesus with me, someone shared Jesus with them, and someone shared Jesus with them, and it would trace all the way back to Jesus and the disciples a long time ago, sharing the gospel, handing that baton forward. Uh, Someone out there took the risk to be the disciple maker, to be the church planter, to be the bold witness, to be the person who led the Bible study, to be the person who cared enough to jump into the children's ministry, whatever it was. Uh, there, there've been, there's been this baton passed down, and all of us now have the opportunity to pick up our generation's baton and keep running, keep going forward. And the, the piece that I feel like is missing from so many churches, and I'll say in part in ours, I don't think we're, you know, as with any critique of a whole group, you say, well, part of this we're probably getting right, and there's part of it we need to grow in. But I think a, I think a piece of the puzzle that is often missing is how we think of empowering our sons and daughters, how we think about empowering young people to lead, um, and, and, and sort of the interplay between the old and the young. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today and, and see in the Scripture a challenge that I hope will apply to every single one of us, but especially if you would have to raise your hand, I won't make you do it, and say, I think I'm in the old category. I think I'm, I think I'm on the, the, that half of life. Um, a challenge for you to reorient your thinking um, into something that I think can make all of us who are old, and in today's context, I'll say I'm old as well. I'm 40, so I get to say I'm in the middle, right? But uh, but I'll I'll say it's after my 40th birthday, so I get to be old now too. Um, We all have an opportunity to multiply ourselves and to multiply God's kingdom in amazing ways if we're willing to listen to the wisdom of the Scripture that we'll open up today. All right, so first we'll start with a curiosity. We talked about this, I think, maybe a year ago. Um, we talked about how old the disciples were. I won't hold you to it if you don't quite remember that sermon, but we did talk about it. And, and, and what we found was that contrary to the, the Jesus movies that we see where like the disciples were weathered, thick-bearded fishermen or whatever with like bulging muscles in the rainstorm, crying out, and, that, that really the disciples were probably a lot more like a youth group, than they were like some group of burly guys with deep voices. And, uh, and so th- there's a lot of context clues in the Bible about this, from some of the cultural nuances of how Jesus, a 30-year-old rabbi, collected the disciples and walked with them, to different aspects that you can read about. If you Google it, you'll see the same information I can find on it. It's actually pretty fascinating. 
Um, if you kind of take the historic timeline in the New Testament and see when the, the epistles were written, the letters to different churches, when those are dated, and then put that back to how old would that person have been when they walked with Jesus, what you end up with was that Jesus was 30, Peter was probably early 20s, and the rest of the disciples were late teens, which I think is fascinating to think about, just to get a different imagination of what that Last Supper painting might have looked like, or a different imagination of what some of the Bible stories where we picture um, all of these events happening to see sort of old bearded Pharisees going up against young punk youth pastors, right? That's kind of what, that's kind of what was happening uh, back then. And, and Jesus, if you were going to name him, like if we hired Jesus onto our church staff, what would his title be? Oh, he's too young to be the lead pastor. What would we say he is? Oh, he's, he's a youth pastor, right? That would be his title because he's working with, he, maybe he's a college and career pastor, right? But, but at any rate, the, 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 the focus of activity was a lot younger than we might expect in the New Testament. So I think that has a lot to say to us, and we'll, we'll look at some of what that can mean in just a moment. But here's a premise for why I think we need to talk about this. If we want our vision to flourish tomorrow, we have to entrust it to the young today. None of us are motivated by picking up a previous generation's mantle and carrying that a little bit further. Every generation has its vision, has its forward momentum, and the church, with the capital C, not just our church, but every church, can either resist that or embrace it. And either hold back and say, no, 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 we need to keep sort of our definition of things, our leadership of things, our style of things, or we can sort of lean forward and say, how do we empower even more people to lead for the kingdom? Now, it's interesting because the Pharisees in the ministry of Jesus were always sort of seen as the antagonists to him uh, because they were resisting at every turn the things he would teach, the things he represented, and his disciples. Um, in fact, even after the, the story of Jesus unfolds and you get into the book of Acts, you see still the, the leaders of that culture going, these are unschooled, these are ordinary, these are, these are nobodies, why should we listen to them? They haven't paid their dues, they're not sitting on high councils, they haven't proven their life experience. Who are these people that they would have such authority? Who are these people that they would make such bold claims? Jesus knew something about how movements work and how the world changes. And he knew that critical to any world-changing movement is the young. And so that's why he entrusted his message, his commission, his Holy Spirit, and the whole ball of wax, like the entire thing we're a part of, he handed it to a youth group and a couple 20-somethings. So, Lord, are you sure that's wise? <laughs> like, wouldn't there be more qualified, more astute, more learned people, people that have proven through, you know, they, they can manage money or people that have proven that they can teach or proven that they're, you know, why don't you wait till they all have kids and then we'll talk? Well, Jesus entrusted the message to the young and that gave that message a much longer runway there in that first generation of Christians. So, of course, we could say, our mission is to reach everyone, every stage, everybody. Whether you're 95 years old or 5 years old, we love you, we care about you, our mission is to reach you. 
Absolutely. But when we think about our mission going forward, we recognize that if the young don't capture it in their hearts, it will die, whatever it is. Um, If that's a church, if that's a faith movement, if that's a certain belief system, um, you could even take it out beyond and say if that's a political belief, if the young don't capture it and own it, it will die. It's just a matter of time. So I believe that the Christian movement should be a young movement, a movement of people who, of all ages, are aiming at the future, less worried about the past, more focused on the future. Because ultimately, we're all going to get to Judgment Day and then on into eternity, and none of the past or future on earth is going to feel very relevant at that moment. What will feel relevant is to what extent the vision lived in the hearts of people of every age. So what I thought would be interesting to walk through is to say, in the Bible, do we have any examples of how the older generation empowers a younger generation? And do any of those examples apply to us as a church? So I'd like to offer you that. And and I also want to start by noting, some of you know I've been to India a few different times. Uh, That's one of the mission focuses I've taken on in my life. And, and as with any of us, like if you've taken a mission trip to another culture, you learn a lot when you're outside of your own swimming pool, right? And you, you just new perspectives, new ideas. Something I noticed was how everybody was young. And I noticed they were all little, even the old ones were little to me. Uh, somehow, just culture, I don't know, I, I was like a giant. But, the, uh, but we, we had a lot of fun. But what I started noticing was I would walk into churches full of young people. I'd walk into training sessions for pastors full of young people. And, and like young people, like Jesus' disciples' age, like late teens, maybe early 20s, it seemed like a lot of them were in that category. Just felt a lot different than what I experience here. So two things I noticed. I would deduce that we start too late and we send too late in the life cycle of people. I sat down with one of their leaders and um, asked him about his ministry philosophy in India. Like, how do they do what they do? He said, well, we we have today's leaders train tomorrow's leaders. I said, okay. You know, that anybody who's ever done, like, corporate marketing speak, like, what does that mean? You know, that would would kind of be like everybody doing that. He said, well, no, today's leaders to us is 16 to 25-year-olds, and tomorrow's leaders are the kids, like, well, what about me? <laughs> you know, uh, uh-oh, you know, I, I'm already written out of the equation. Uh, and of course, there's, you know, there, there's more to the story. But their point, what they're doing is they're looking at the, the energy for kingdom expansion, the energy for what needs to happen is living in those 16 to 25-year-old hearts. And when you mobilize those people, you mobilize a force to be reckoned with. You change the world. Last year, that group, just that one ministry, trained 80,000 today's leaders to reach out to almost 1 million kids, tomorrow's leaders. thought, you know, there's something there that I want to learn from. I don't want to start too late. I don't want to always be the one going, that person hasn't paid their dues. They, they, they need more experience. You know, that kid is still a little bit sloppy. Let's wait till he grows up a little bit. I'd rather live on the other side of that equation. Maybe be accused of starting people a little too early rather than too late. 
And I think we send too late as well when we think about if somebody's really ready, uh, ready for prime time, ready to teach a class, ready to lead a life group, uh, ready to help in Awana, ready, ready to go out and be a witness. Uh, that we're, not, we're looking for everyone of every age, of course, to be a part of all this. But the earlier a person can start, the more runway there is in their life for them to make a difference with all of that lifetime that they have left. And so it would behoove us to look at that and say, all right, how, how can we empower our sons and daughters to lead? How can we get the process of leadership started in their life earlier so that they can make even a bigger impact for the kingdom than we ever could? So I want to offer you five ideas on this. Five ways that you could empower your son or your daughter or your grandkids or some of the kids that you see around the church or maybe even the neighborhood kid that you know. Or maybe not just kids. Maybe this is college and career age as well. Uh, This is where you look at anybody who's younger than you and say, part of my mission in life is to empower these people. I love that Awana video we saw a little while ago. You notice how their mission is not just, it doesn't stop with teach the Bible to kids. Like that would be an admirable mission. We would applaud that. But why are they teaching the Bible to kids? It's said in that video, to equip leaders to reach the world for Christ. You go, oh, there's, there's the bigger picture. That's why this whole discipleship thing matters. It's not just an end in itself. It's not just for us to learn. It's learning so that we can go and see a difference made. So I'll offer you five ideas, and I want to show you in the Bible an example of each of these, kind of how they lay out. We're going to use two different tracts in the Bible. One is Jesus to his disciples, and the other is Paul to Timothy, as Paul trained Timothy in the ministry. Okay, so the first thing we can give our kids and grandkids is a little bit of unearned, undeserved respect. Now at this time, if you're young, you're like, yes, I can't believe church is talking about this. I want, okay, well, your, your time's coming, so hold that thought. <laughs> right now we're talking to, we're talking to the, the older about what this means, all right? Um, one thing I try to do when I meet people, and this would be for anybody, I try to put a 10 on their forehead in my imagination, especially if I'm having trouble appreciating them or connecting with them. And this is 10 on like a scale of 1 to 10. Um, to, to just remind myself that God made this person to be amazing. Like God has an incredible plan for this person's life and for their eternity. He has a dream for them. There's a vision they can live. They've been gifted. They have perspective. They have so much to offer. And, and that person who may be the packaging of whatever, some 14-year-old is sloppy or undisciplined or a little unbecoming or something, but like behind the packaging, there's a, there's a 10 on that soul there. And, and when you can see people that way, it can start, you start to kind of see potential around you. You're like, wow, like there's a lot of 10s in there. There's a lot, there's a lot can be done. Now, you could take the 10 off your forehead if you want and disprove that you're worth a lot, but I, I, think, you're worth, I think you've got amazing things ahead of you in your life. So we can start with that believing that their view of the world contains value that we need to learn from, just like our view of the world contains value that they need to learn from. And it's really easy, especially if you're in a position of leadership or a teacher of some kind, to kind of get the idea that everybody needs my wisdom. That might be true, but you also need everybody's wisdom, no matter what age they are. 
Be sure that they know you believe in them and in their potential as they follow Christ. So turn with me to 1 Timothy 4. See just the most amazing example of this principle. Someone who didn't, at least in a cultural sense, deserve the respect of his peers. But the Apostle Paul gave it to him. 1 Timothy 4, look to verse 11. And we'll come back to Timothy in a moment, but in all likelihood, Paul met Timothy when he was about 16, when Timothy was 16, and this is a few years later, so um, this isn't directly in the Bible, but you can piece together some timeline from Christian history and say, in all likelihood, when this book was written, Timothy was about 30 years old. In their culture, Timothy was trying to minister into, unless you were 40 or more, you were still young. You still had a lot to learn. You were still sort of waiting for your turn. And Timothy here has jumped the gun a little bit. He's all of a sudden the pastor of the church of Ephesus, and Paul's writing him this letter, even though Timothy is a younger leader than would be culturally expected a leader to be. Verse 11, Teach these things and insist that everyone learn from them. Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all the believers in what you say, the way you live, in your love, your faith, your purity, until I get there, focus on the reading of the Scriptures to the church, encouraging the believers and teaching them. It's interesting because Paul didn't say, until I get there, just stay quiet. Like, let all the old people do the work. Timothy, until I get there, keep calm. Don't do anything rash. No, he was encouraged, like, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. Yes, this is different than cultural expectations, but be an example. Like, God has called you to this. Be bold in it. And I, and I look at that and go, what was the Apostle Paul offering to Timothy? He was offering him a chance to get the process started a lot earlier in life than most people would have started it. So in this context, a 10-year jump on what would have been normal in that context. So we'll come back to Timothy in a moment, but I want to offer you the second thing that I think we can give our kids and grandkids. First, we give them the the respect just to say, God's given them some amazing gifts that need to be unwrapped. We believe that. Second thing is to give them reasons. Sometimes as a parent, I'm sure my kids could attest to this one, it's easy to just want to say what to do and not really take time to explain why it has to be done. Right? All of you parents know that issue. You know, you kind of Just in the pressures of life and the push to get things done, sometimes you're just like, just do what I say. I don't have time to explain. But if we want the next generation to buy in and to be a part of the vision that we believe is so important, we have to take time for why, not just commanding about how or what. Jesus did this with the disciples in a really interesting way. So turn with me to Matthew 13, and I want you to see something here that until I started studying this concept, I've read Matthew 13 many times, I've never thought about this. Usually when I turn to this chapter, I'm turning because it's got some very potent parables to discuss, or interesting prophecy about how the, the, the people of Israel were, were going to, even though it was like right in front of them, they wouldn't be able to see the truth even though it was being presented. But embedded in that is a really interesting thing if you think about the age disparity of the people involved in the story. So look to verse 9, or verse 10. After Jesus has shared a a parable with the crowd, which would have included all ages, 
And over and over again, you know, the, the learned Pharisees, the guys with the big beards, like they would step forward and they would critique Jesus, ask him questions. And Jesus would keep replying with stories, not like propositions. Which if you think about it, if you're telling stories, like some of you do this, like what, what ministry group usually are you working with when you're just telling stories? That's kids, Right? Because you say that's like the level that they're going to understand, and so you just, you just you know, tell the Bible stories, and you, the principles will come later. It's interesting, Jesus is doing that to everyone, even the learned minds of Israel. But then what happens? Verse 10, the disciples, the youth group, came and asked him, why do you use parables when you talk to people? He replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. Whoa. Really? Like the, wouldn't, I mean, what about all the, the super powerful religious minds of the era? Well, here it's just these common younger guys that Jesus has put around him as the disciples. He said, I'm going to give you an inside track here. I'm going to teach you the why and the how and the, the bigger. You're going to be in the, you're going to understand something that a lot of people never will understand. Jump to verse 16. He says, Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they long to hear what you hear, and they didn't hear it. Jesus was pulling these guys in as a part of his team and giving them a much deeper understanding of how the kingdom was going to work than everyone else. I just think it's interesting. I mean, don't you? I mean, it just seems like almost counterintuitive that you would entrust the secrets of the kingdom of heaven to people that are so young and unproven and leave all the people who like would have all the influence centers out there, like leave all them in the dark and just talk to these kids. And yet that's how Jesus did it. One thing my parents, um, I, I'm so grateful for them. When they became Christians, uh, I was a young teen, and they immediately jumped into all sorts of ways of serving God. And they told me at a really early age, I think I was 13 when I remember them talking to me about the fact that I was with them on their team. And they would, they would put me in positions and places that I definitely had not earned or deserved. Um, they were jail chaplains. And one of the things that they did was they actually got me a special pass to go into the jail as a minor to teach the inmates. And so there I am, like 16-year-old, I know nothing. Like, I think I know a lot, but now I would say I knew nothing. And I'm there in front of, like, you know, criminals, like hardened people, teaching them the Bible, um, put in a position that definitely, like, but, but I was on my parents' team. Like, I was an extension of their ministry. And I look at that and go, Mom and Dad, like, are you crazy? Like, what, what were you thinking back then? I mean, at the time, I didn't know how crazy it was. Um, but they were... They were illustrating this principle uh, so well. They were, they were treating me as a, as a partner in their work um, in much the same way as that Jesus pulled some 16, 17-year-old guys around him and made them partners in his work. I just think that's amazing. Okay, here's the third thing. Resources. Um, something I try to think when I'm meeting people, or especially when I'm talking to younger people. I'll ask, how can I add value this person's life. That could be one of my kids' names in there. Or it could be one of your kids' names that I meet here at church. Uh, how could I add value to their life? And what resources or connections or opportunities has God given me 
that I could share with him or her. And just asking that question opens up a ton of interesting possibilities. Uh, How could we train or educate more intentionally for both kingdom and productivity purposes? Like, how could I be a part of their future development? Another question that's interesting to ask, how much would it really cost me to advance my child or grandchild or another young person to the next level of opportunity? I mean, sometimes we're holding on to things because we like them, but then you say, would it, would it, would there, how much would it really cost to like, let someone else be involved? It's, it's actually very freeing. It's pretty exciting to think my life as an older person could be used not just for its own value. I mean, you could keep adding value and doing what you do till the day you die. That, that's it's great. It's still positive to the world. But imagine if you were doing that and empowering a whole bunch of young people along with you. How much greater your contribution would be to the work of Jesus. Now, Paul, he did this to Timothy, and, uh, and this is where when we look back and we go, wow, that actually happened that way, turn to Acts 16 and see how Paul connected Timothy to some resources that Timothy had no business being a part of, again, from kind of an earthly or cultural perspective. Acts 16, Paul's about to start his second missionary journey, a journey filled with persecution Hostile crowds, difficulties, shipwrecks. I mean, he, this, is, this is the real deal. This isn't like easy on-ramp, you know, uh, gentle youth ministry thing. This is, this is tough. It says, Paul went first to Derby and then to Lystra, where he met a young disciple named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer and his father was a Greek. Usually we don't hear about people's parents in the Bible, so why do you think the parents are getting talked about? Where was Timothy? Yes. True. Where was he living? He was living at home. And his parents were a part of his story still. So some scholars would look back and kind of backdate things and say he was probably about 16. So Paul rides through town, meets 16-year-old Timothy. Does Paul need a 16-year-old to go with him on his journey? I would posit no, like none of us probably do. But... (laughs) Look what happens. Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium, so Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. In deference to the Jews of the area, he arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left, for everyone knew that his father was a Greek. And then they went from town to town, instructing the believers to follow the decisions made by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem, and so the churches were strengthened in their faith and grew larger every day. Timothy had a life-changing opportunity, right? I mean, the Apostle Paul came through town, and Timothy gets asked this question like, do you want to come with me? No, I'm too busy. I've got to finish my school. I've got all the other things to do. I mean, Timothy, he was ready. And I look at that and go, in every way, Paul didn't have to do this, but he saw a potential there to empower and train a young leader that ultimately made a world-changing difference. And we've got two books of the Bible that are named after Timothy later on. And we know that Timothy had a huge impact on that second generation of Christians right after the book of Acts era. Say, Paul started that when Timothy was 16. So, when we think about the next principle here, entrusting our sons and daughters with responsibility. All right, here's what I think we could be asking. What opportunities could I give them that would stretch and stir them? 
Not what do they want, because sometimes that's not what would stretch. None of us want what stretches and stirs, right? We want what's easy. But what could I give them that would really push them to the next level? What am I doing right now that a younger leader could do? I think it's, it's so easy to like, like, I like a lot of the work I get to do, and so I just keep doing it. To step back and go, wait a minute, there might be other people who could do this. And it would actually be their on-ramp into effective ministry or making a difference in the world. I don't want to sort of hog the opportunity for myself. Let's, let's empower others. Um, another thing we can even do is empower them to start mentoring and disciple someone younger than they are. Um, I had a fun experience uh, a few years back. There was a 17-year-old guy, and I offered to do a mentoring relationship with him for a while, and so we were going to meet and have coffee and buy him lunch sometimes and talk about the Bible. We walked through basic principles of how to share our faith and you know what the Bible means and things like that. So way early in that, I said to him, I'll do this if you'll say that as we get to the end of it, I, you'll, you'll go ahead and disciple someone else. Okay, he's 17, he's not, this hasn't been on his radar at all, that he would already be ready to do that. And, and he kind of reluctantly said, okay. You know what was so amazing to see? Just a few months later, that 17-year-old guy was meeting with a middle school kid who was thrilled. I mean, middle school kid that said, oh, this cool 17-year-old wants to take me out to lunch and you know, train me in the faith or whatever. It was really neat to see that come full circle. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't complicated. It was just a matter of intending for that to happen and going ahead and laying out the plan of saying, it's not just that we want to train the next generation and teach them. We want to entrust them with responsibility, which is ultimately the best kind of training there is. All right, Jesus does this for his disciples in a kind of a unique way, a really surprising way in Luke 10. Now, this is more disciples than the, the 12. Remember, there were other people who followed Jesus, who listened to his teaching. It says that Jesus had 72 other disciples, and he empowered them in kind of a special way. Look at Luke 10, verse 1. It says, The Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places that he planned to visit. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So, pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his field. Now go. They get to go be the workers. So they're heading out. He gives them a bunch of instructions about faith and about you know, the, the right approach into the places they're going to go. And then we get all the way down to verse 16 where we have like sort of the ultimate empowerment. Like you couldn't give someone any more gravitas than this. He says to these 72, anyone who accepts your message is also accepting me. Anyone who rejects you is rejecting me. And anyone who rejects me is rejecting God who sent me. So, like, would you call that full empowerment? Like, these people get to speak with the voice of Jesus. Everything, I mean, it's all on the table here. They head out. They do their job. Look what happens. Verse 17. When the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Jesus had handed them not just sort of like provisional, like here's, here's a little bit, here's an opportunity to get up and speak and then I'll come behind you and finish it up. Jesus actually gave them the power to cast out demons and sent them out. Again, I just think that's amazing. All right, last piece of this puzzle. Instead of building our next generation a play yard, sadly I think that's kind of what all of us 
tend to want to build for every generation. Let's build a runway instead. So Jesus said to his disciples, you will do greater things than these. So like he's done all these miracles, and then he says, by the way, guys, you're going to do even more than this. And they're like, what are you talking about? How is that even possible? And then you read the book of Acts and realize that the scale of what the disciples got to be a part of was vastly greater than what Jesus started them with. The ministry started to multiply and get way out of control, and it changed the whole world. The disciples were a piece of that puzzle. So you might say, how could we build a culture, an expectation in our hearts as parents, as church members, that the kids that we're working with are going to do greater things than we've ever imagined doing? If we start with that premise, the tens on their forehead, there's endless potential there, let's empower them, that could change a lot of what we do. We can start praying with children, teens, young adults about their ideas for impact, their growth and wisdom, their faith adventure. So often, isn't it tempting to say, hey, follow me, like I've got a faith adventure, you can join mine. But what if God sometimes calls us to join theirs instead? And we see the greatest impact of our lives actually being through empowerment rather than through our own action. Jesus lived what he preached here. And one of the most familiar texts that we turn to frequently because it's part of our own church's mission is at the very end of his ministry, Matthew 28. You probably know it well. Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Who was he talking to again? People who were three years older than when he started with them. So still basically a youth group. Maybe we say they all get to bump up to the singles class now. But they're, um, uh, So th- there they are, like a young group. All authority has been given to me. Now I'm commissioning you. Go, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and I'll be with you even to the end of the age. You can also look at Acts 1.8, a parallel passage to that where he says, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and empower you to be my witnesses wherever you go, all over the place, to the ends of the earth. I'm going to use you. All of us have been empowered with that. But when I look at the young people around me, and maybe when you look at the young people around you, I wonder how I could be the kind of person who builds them a runway to get started on that journey of following Jesus and living for Him as early as possible. Now, I did promise to you young people in the room a little something, right? So I want to give you a challenge as well. We're actually going to go back. We looked at 1 Timothy 4. That's where Paul said to Timothy, don't let people look down on you because you're young. And you're like, yeah, that's what I've been wanting to hear. But there's more to that text, right? Timothy had a responsibility as well. If you want to be respected, you need to be respectable. You need to be the kind of person that somebody would want to invest in. Here's what Paul said to Timothy. Be an example in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. So when you're young, it's not a time to just say, I'll do whatever I want and get serious later. When you're young is the time to get serious, to make every minute count, not to waste those incredible years that God gives you. Do not neglect your spiritual gift. Paul continues on. Give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself into your tasks. If you're the sort of young person who does that, what do you think God can do with your life? 
they'll go a lot faster and a lot further than if you kind of slouch back and do what everybody else is doing. So if you're less than 30 today, I have a few encouragements for you. The first one, don't waste your young years. I mean, you've got an amazing moment here in your life. Freedom, more so than the older people who are sitting around you. Some of you are not tied down by hardly anything at all. You could, you could leverage a ton for the gospel. You could do amazing things for Jesus and be on incredible adventures with him. Don't waste that opportunity sort of lurched back in front of a phone, um, wasting time trying to get friends to like you. Like, pursue something that matters. Give your full attention to God and his word. Be the hardest worker you know and never complain. So here's something interesting. When Paul came through Derby and Lystra and he, he met Timothy in, in Acts 16, Paul picked up Timothy because Timothy was well regarded as a 16-year-old. I say even in multiple cities, it was like the believers, everybody points at him and go like, he's, he's doing great. Like as a young guy, he's somebody we're watching. If Timothy had been a slacker, I imagine Paul would have passed right by. Timothy would have missed the greatest adventure of his life. You have the opportunity to say, Lord, I don't know where you want to take me, but I'm going to make every minute count. I'm going to be as hard of a worker as I possibly can be. I'm not going to be known as a complainer, a whiner, a person trying to just extract value out of other people. I want to be the person that adds value to everyone around me so that when the moment comes, when the big break, the big opportunity comes, I'm known as the sort of person who works hard and who's ready, ready to jump in. So you could think excellence in everything that you do, even the little things that seem like they don't matter. You might remember this from your childhood. I remember debating with my mom whether my schoolwork mattered. Anybody else have that discussion? Um, especially before eighth grade or ninth grade when it all starts counting for something, I'd be like, Mom, it doesn't matter. Like, nobody besides a teacher, and some of those years my mom was a teacher, nobody's going to read this. Like, who cares? Or who's going to see my messy room? Or who's going to see the way that I did my chores? Or who, who, like, none of this matters yet. If you pursue excellence now in the little things, what happens? If you are faithful with little, what does God give you? Much. That's how this works. You have such an incredible opportunity just to wake up tomorrow and say, I'm going to give it my all. I'm going to be excellent. And when you do that, you, you set the stage for God to use you in ways that you can't imagine. Then excitedly, prayerfully say yes when God gives you unexpected opportunities to grow, learn, or go. So if somehow the Apostle Paul strolls through Berrien Center and says, you want to come with me, what's your answer to that? Like, of course, like, Lord, I'm waiting for you to show me how you want to use my life. I'm leaning toward, like, yes, I'm, I'm going to go after it. I'm not going to be the person who, like, kind of plays it safe and sits in the corner. Lord, let me at the opportunities you have in front of me. Be the sort of person that an older person would want to mentor and empower. Something I'm really excited about in our church, actually two things that we've been announcing. Awana, 
um, is all about this. That starts next month. Amplify starts tonight. And uh, I, Brad and Bree are in the room. I want you guys to come on up. Uh, we want to pray for them, kind of send them out, commission them in this regard. Uh, this has been in the works for more than a year. Um, even before they were around, we've been talking about our desire to make this uh, focus, to, to, to take what we have here at Berrien Center and apply it to young people in fresh ways. And tonight is an important date on that calendar. And, uh, and so in a minute, we're going to actually ask the other people who are a part of your ministry to come up too. We want to pray for you. But I thought I'd give you a chance to just share. Uh, and you, you know, we, I think most of us in the room know you now. We've done a couple introductions or whatever. But this is the kickoff of the, the actual sort of ministry brand, Amplify. Uh, we're really excited about that. Maybe you could tell us, like, what does that name mean? And what, what is the first message series that you're about to start? Yeah, so I know a lot of you may have been here last Sunday and got to see a like short little blurb of kind of what we're all about in Amplify. But really, the heart behind it is that we want to see students turning up their love for Christ. And another word for that would be Amplify, that you're, you're making something bigger than what it was. And so our heart is that we want to see students coming into the student ministry and I love how Francis Chan puts this. Uh, he says that like the church is a medical or like a hospital. It's a place where you come after being her or whatever out in the community, and then you come in, you get rebuilt so you can go back out. And that's what really Amplify is, is we want a place where students are able to come from their communities that they're in to be able to come together to be recharged, to be built into so that they can go back out into their communities and love like Jesus does. And so we want to see them amplifying their faith and their love in their communities. Uh, really, to kind of set the stage for the name, for the heart behind the ministry, we've really wanted to start our first message series on Acts. And it's just, it's the point where the church really had the explosion. That was where now these believers were being charged and they were wanting to go out. And so that's really what we're going to be teaching over the next month is this heart behind what an amplified life looks like. Um, tonight I'm really excited because it's going to be on Acts 2 where it just talks about how the Holy Spirit came upon the, the believers and they went out and they spoke and 3,000 were added to the community that day. And so that's an excitement of sharing what does it look like when, when you get turned up for Jesus and you go out into your community and what life change can happen because of that. So that's really the two things that we're going to be seeing for message and the heart behind it. So cool. Um, Bree, could you tell us how we could be praying for you guys as you start this? Absolutely. Um, as I'm sure many people can relate, when there's new things happening, there's also some nerves behind that. Um, and so with Brad and I making a lot of decisions um, with this new ministry, there's some nerves um, behind it. And so we'd love prayer from you guys for encouragement from the Lord, um, that the Lord would guide us with his wisdom, that the Holy Spirit would be a part of every decision that is made, every act that we take, and every conversation that we have. The students in today's culture, um, they face a lot every single day, more than what I had to face when I was in high school. And so... I know that as we go into this ministry, there's going to be a lot of challenges that we're going to face with students, a lot of broken lives and broken hearts. Um, and so we pray that the Holy Spirit would be a part of that, that he would help to mend the broken hearts, to be a hospital, and that the Lord would be able to use us and use our leaders in that process, that we would all walk with the Holy Spirit 
to be a part of these students' lives, to charge them with the Holy Spirit and with the love of Christ so that they can go out and live an amplified life. Um, and we also, if you've seen the, the Serve by Connecting board out in the hallway there, there are actually cards for the student ministry to join our prayer team, our prayer and encouragement team. So if any of you are like, yes, like I'm a prayer warrior, like I want to be behind you in prayer, we'd love if you grab a card, fill it out, um, and we can send you email updates about new prayer requests that are coming up in the ministry and that you can still be a part of the changing lives in the students in our communities here just through prayer. Absolutely. So you mentioned some leaders, and we want to we want to commission all of you and pray over all of you. So maybe you could kind of call up your leaders and tell us a little bit about how that looks. Yeah, can I have all of my leaders go ahead and just come on up? Um, we're super excited because the team that we have this year, I think, is really going to be standing behind what we're wanting to be about at Amplify. And I think that each one of them has a passion in unique ways that really can reach a student wherever they're at whatever personality that they have. And these leaders really put that together. And so one, I'm just excited to have them all standing alongside and for all of you to get to see them because I think that the Lord's gonna do really amazing things through this team. And so, I mean, we've got Matt and Allison Sherwood on our, this side. We've got Kara Terrio. Uh, we've got Dan and Michaela Martin. Trevor and Katie Jones, uh, my dad and my mom, so Mark and Linda Wurzel, and then we have also Johnny and Alyssa Renneberg that will be joining as well. So that's going to be our team for the 2019-2020 year. Awesome. So if, if you haven't fully tuned into this, this is all at 6 o'clock tonight. It's where this all starts. And if you have a teen, you know, kind of attached to your life, somebody, a neighbor, a grandkid, Anybody that lives within like a hundred mile radius of right here, like, you know, see if you get them here at six o'clock tonight and, uh, and let God uh, work, work in them through this team. So that we'd be really excited about that. Um, we, we would all love to surround you in prayer. That's what we want to do. Um, I want to just from, for, uh, just to make it simple, maybe everybody who is an elder, a deacon, or a staff of the church, or a spouse of one of those, if you would come up and just put hands on one of these leaders as a way of commissioning them, and, uh, and then all of us together as a congregation, we want to join all of you in prayer. And even though we won't all be in the meeting tonight, like we'll be pulling for you and excited to hear how God uses this, you know, this Sunday and then a lot of Sundays to come uh, as, as this work begins. All right, so after everybody's assembled, Brad, you could hand that microphone up. And I want to ask Bill and Martin. Um, Bill is our care pastor there in the center. And then Martin, one of our elders, to just pray over this whole group. Oh, Father God, we thank you for the privilege of allowing us to be a part of your family. And as we have that privilege, Father, I just pray that you would help us to be overwhelmed with the incredible responsibility to also uh, share about you with other people who don't yet know you as their God and Savior are not yet a part of your family. And as we get overwhelmed with that, uh, Father, I just pray that you would help us to uh, really be hungry, uh, help us to be excited about reaching out into the community. And as we launch this, um, this student ministries, this ministry into junior high and, and high school-aged young people, uh, Father, I just pray that you would help us to be compelled to get your gospel message out so that as many young people as possible can come to put their life, uh, their, the, the trust of their life into you. And then, Father, as this 
um, group of young people gathered together here at Berrien Center Bible Church. I pray that you would bless these leaders uh, as they invest your principles, the principles that come from your word, uh, as they teach about your character, as this group of of leaders invest into the next generation, these young people. uh, I pray that uh, these young people would come to fully understand the impact that uh, that could have on their life if they just surrender themselves to you. And so, Father, as this group launches tonight, I pray your blessing on uh, Brad and Kayla as they provide, uh, or Brad and Bree as they provide leadership, sorry, as they provide leadership for uh, the rest of these leaders and as they speak into the lives of these uh, young people. I pray for wisdom and discernment. Uh, I pray for leadership capability that, as Dan was saying, uh, you, you invest in the youngest uh, among us uh, in, in incredible ways. Our power doesn't come from our wisdom or our years, but it comes from you. And so I just pray that you invest, would invest wisdom in uh, Brad and Bree and then into this a whole team of leaders, uh, Father, that you would invest wisdom into them to be able to speak your truth into these young people as they gather up. Uh, May you build your kingdom. May you impact this community through these young people and transform this community to be a uh, kingdom-oriented community. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And Lord, thank you for the multitude of gifts that are assembled here. You are the one who gifts the body. And so as we think about this ministry kicking off, Thank you that you have assembled a variety of gifts in this team of people. I pray that you would enable them to work together and esteem one another better than themselves, that you would enable those gifts to work in ways that multiply beyond what they can begin to even think or imagine at this point. And so just thank you for drawing them together, and thank you for what they bring to the equation. And all of that means nothing unless you, Spirit of God, come down. So would you please empower them, and would you draw young people teens, junior high kids in to be impacted and changed by the gospel. And I pray that that would be clear, that the good news of Jesus and then what that means in our lives would be clear every time they meet and assemble. So would you be glorified in all that is done and through this group that you have brought together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, let's just for fun give a round of applause to our team here. Thank you guys. Amen. Well, on that note, uh, you're dismissed. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.